This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Penelope Janu, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on, Cheryl. Oh, yeah. Um, this is great. Well, it's uh, it's exciting um, because uh, it's the first one for the new year for us. So um, so you're the first cap off the rank, so to speak. Um, <laughs> that's what a January 5 release does to you. <laughs> that's right. Penelope was a solicitor and legal academic and mother of six before she finally had the time to put pen to paper and to write. Her debut novel, In at the Deep End, was published in 2017. Since then, she's written rural and coastal romances such as Starting from Scratch, Up on the Horseshoe Hill and Clouds on the Horizon. Her stories explore social and environmental issues but are fundamentally a celebration of Australian characters and communities. Her latest novel is called Shelter from the Storm, which is the novel we're talking about today, and do you know our better readers, they just love you. You get a lot of lovely feedback, as you probably know. And I'm thrilled to be talking to you today. Oh, thank um, you very much. No, I was, I was actually particularly happy with the better reading reviews in a way because, I mean, I have my readers who are often romance readers, but there are quite a number of reviews that say, I'm not a romance reader, but, and I love capturing yeah. the attention <laughs> of those readers. It's fabulous, isn't it? Because our readers that, that participate in Brit. Uh, preview. We'll read just about any genre, really. Um, but you got dozens of five star reviews with this um, with this book, so that's wonderful. Do you know? And it must be so rewarding on so many levels, knowing that readers just love your story. It is. It really is. And yeah, and I suppose that's with all writers. You know, we write yeah. to find our readers, and that is so important to us. But it is lovely now that I've you know written seven novels um, to have the repeat readers who really enjoy what I do, and so it's really nice to have those readers. But then also to to find readers who then find my my latest book, and then they go to my backlist, which is which is really rewarding as well. Mm. So tell me, how did it all start? Go right back. We're going to go right back and talk about where the love of reading started or I'd imagine there was a love of reading and writing um, and how come you kept delaying writing until you got to this point. But anyway, tell me. Um, well, as far as love of reading goes, I think um, I was always a reader as a young child, but my parents, as many did, I think, in the um, in the 60s and 70s, they had Reader's Digest, you know, the, the compilations. So they had all of D.H. Lawrence. They had all of um, Charles Dickens. And they had just a number of all these books. And I just used to basically read when I was sort of 11 or 12. <laughs> I think I found out about sex through Lady Chatterley's Lover. Probably not the best way to do it. but um, Well, you know, it was either that or, you know, Dolly Magazine or Cosmopolitan. That's right, yes. <laughs> I think yeah. you did well there. Where were you? 
Um, at that stage, I was actually born in England. Um, mm-hmm. My parents come from there originally, uh, but then we moved to Australia when I was only six or seven. So, mm-hmm. do you um, remember that? Uh, yes. Um, yeah, yeah. twenty. I, I remember moving from school to school to school, and I absolutely hated moving from school to school to school. So I do remember that. That wasn't a particularly happy part what of childhood. Was, what was your first impression of coming? Because that is a, a quite a drastic change, isn't it? You know, we might yeah, speak well, the same language, but the landscape is, you know, the environment is very true. different. Yeah, yeah, I probably, although probably at that young age, we lived in the, you know, lived in the towns before. It was only, we actually lived in the Northern Beaches. We moved there when I was about eight and that's when I got my first pony. In those days, you could actually, there was Peninsula mm. Pony Club. <laughs> there were lots and lots of horses around there. And I think that probably, that was a really, that the environmental aspect that goes through all of my books and it's it's been a lifelong interest was probably discovered on horseback actually because that's where you could escape just me and my pony and in those days you know you'd leave very early in the morning and come back in the evening mm-hmm. um yeah you know on bush tracks and and so on and I rode around Terry Hills and and other areas in um, around Sydney and then we moved to Melbourne when I was um 13 and we lived in a semi-rural area there so again you know, I had horses mm. and we had Why did you keep moving? Oh, not only I think with Dad's work, you know, he moved from Sydney to Melbourne and I think originally we were, you know, they were renting houses and so on and then they, you know, bought a house that was their first house in Avalon. So that was why. Mm-hmm. Um, but always I had reading. I didn't particularly identify what I was reading as romance for quite a long time actually. I was probably about 14 or so um, on a caravan holiday um with a friend and my mother declared that she was boy mad and she bought my friend a Barbara Cartland novel and my friend had nothing to do with it <laughs> but I read it and I thought, oh oh okay this is romance this is a book just on romance and honestly it was the first one I'd read um and from there then I became I mean I was always an avid reader but I suppose I I read widely but I kind of worked out that actually I liked a happy ending I liked an uplifting ending I don't I think I have a very vivid, active imagination and if I read something that's unsettling or unhappy, I find that I relive it. I can't. I'm a terrible person in my family because I just cannot watch any violence whatsoever. My children are great now, you know, because they all say, oh, Mum, no, this is it's rated M, but it's okay. It's got sex in it. Do you know? Violence in it. Penelope, you and I are the same. I am so much that. My mother, I think I've told this story before on this podcast, um, happy endings are really something that I, I seek out, you know. Um, and when we were little, we were immigrants. My parents were Lebanese and we grew up in Glebe, um, you know, and that was a rough place to be growing up at the time. But my mother loved the cinema and she would often take us. She owned a corner store and she would often close the corner store on a Sunday without telling my father and take us to the cinema. But really they were films that she wanted to see, not films that were probably all that suitable for children. And one of them was The Poseidon of Adventure, you know, um, and Shelley Winters died. Well, I was traumatised, crying all the way home, and sure enough I told my father that night because (laughs) they couldn't shut me up. And that still sits with me in a way. I love happy endings. Mm, yeah, no, the same, you can obviously, you know, cope with grief and even during a novel, but if there's something then you think, okay, this is a new start for that character, by the end of the novel, you know, I'll definitely settle for that. But I must say, I'm, you know, some people, you know, cannot tolerate spoilers, but if there's a a, a book that I've heard is a, is a beautiful book, but it's sad, um, I'll be sure to ask my reading friends first, is it, 
you know, okay, I can have sadness within the pages, mm. but as long as it's uplifting at the end. Um, yeah, so as long as it comes good. Oh, wow, isn't that interesting? Okay, so you knew you liked, so your parents were obviously good readers. Yes, no, my mother's an avid reader. She still reads, um, you know. Yeah, there's books all the time. So she's a great reader at at, univers- at school. Rather, um, I went to a school where it was kind of semi-rural, but it wasn't in a particularly wealthy area. And mm. uh, I think there are a couple of hundred of us. You know, we're in year ten, but only thirty odd by year twelve. Mm-hmm. So we're a small cohort. But you know, I was sort of the one that was kind of good at English. I did English and history and politics and so on. Um, so I really liked words. Um, I'd never thought of being an author myself. Uh, but liking words, law, um, I didn't know that I'd get into law, but I worked very, very hard at school mm-hmm. um, and I did get into law. Then we moved back to Sydney, actually, so I went to the University of Sydney and I did um, arts law there. Mm-hmm. That's not an easy um, course. No, not, but it's just a bit, I mean, in university was very, was kind of new to me, new in, new yeah. in the family. I mean, I remember, a, you know, a friend from school, you know, he'd done his HSC the year before and he said he was doing arts at university and I remember thinking, He's not good at art, you know. That's what I, you know, because that was just I just didn't realize that at all. So, I, you know, so you were first in your family. Yes. So, um, yeah, I have a sister, but I lost her recently. I'm um, so sorry. Oh, thank you. But um, yeah, so I, yeah, I love words, and so when I went to university, then that was actually what I did. But I didn't study english or literature i majored in in politics and history and i did law and then um yeah started working as a lawyer after that mm. in sydney in sydney yes i worked at a big legal firm for a number yeah. of years um and then um, i had my first child and in those days my my firm was very good to me in that i could have three months off after having the baby um there was no paid maternity leave in those days but you know and they let me come back part-time um, when she was three months old, you know, till she was one, but then you you had to come back as a full time lawyer. There was no mm. other way to mm. do it. Um, tried that for a while, and it just didn't really work for me. Then I had, you know, then I had another child, and then I got into academia because I had, you know, a good kind of academic record. I guess I want to go back. I want to go back. Just touch on the law a little bit. You know, I might get into trouble for saying this, but we're gonna we're gonna talk about it, Penelope. Is there an element to storytelling about law? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 There yeah. is, isn't there? Yeah. There is. And actually, in some of the aspects of law that I love doing, my colleagues, you know, were not at all interested. You know, even I did, you know, I did early conveyancing, those sort of big property conveyances normally. But, you know, you go back to the old systems titles and, um, you know, where the who, who owned the land or when the land was granted and all those stories. And I love that So I could mm. pour over all those documents and, um, yeah, sort of history of the land in that way. And, mm. and also just the people, the characters, I think, in law of interesting clients and so on. I didn't ever do... Um, I did a couple of early criminal cases that I, you know, was sort of roped into. They were cuffed because I worked for a commercial firm, still doing mm. customs. I remember there was one fellow who was in his 30s. He had two young children. He'd imported something that he shouldn't have. It wasn't drugs or anything like that, but it was something that he hadn't declared. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, there was a risk of him going to jail. And, I, again, I was just, I just couldn't. I just was this, this is a normal guy. You yeah. Know, I, yeah. I thought, no. So I knew then anyway I'd didn't aspire to be a criminal lawyer. I quite like the idea of being a barrister, but once I was a, a lawyer, I thought, no, mm. I didn't want to, mm. to do that. Mm. Okay, so then you started having a family. Is there a particular reason you had a large family? 
Did you love it so much? No, people used to say, oh, haven't you got a television and annoying things like that? Or um, look, we had the first baby and I was relatively young, but I'm a worrier by nature. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think I was was 26 when I had um, my eldest daughter. Um, And she, um, yeah, I just loved that experience. And because I was worrier, I thought, well, it's all very well to say I'll have children in my 30s when my career is more established, but say I can't have children, then I'll need to know that I need to move to the country and have a Welsh mountain pony study or start or do something different. And um, You're yes. a planner and, as well as a writer. Okay, okay. Yes. That's, <laughs> so, um, Look again. Yes, anyway, but then, um, then my eldest um, pit was born and, yeah, after that then I just really enjoyed, yeah, I enjoyed motherhood, I suppose. I would have kept going in the law um, very much so, but then a, a job came up at Macquarie University, which was um, quite close to us. We lived at Epping then. Mm-hmm. And, and I actually got the position. Um, I had to do it because I'd done well at university. In those days you didn't have to have sort of a PA PhD up front, which is uh, more of a requirement now. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, then I did my master's once I was actually working and I studied. And But I taught business law. I did a lot of research in the area of um, medical ethics and technology. Um, yeah. Again, probably more storytelling in that than um, tax and commercial law yes. is what I was teaching. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so, but then I ended up being at Macquarie then for um Oh, it's about no oh, close to twenty years. I was a tenured academic there. And so, it was are a, you a full time mum mm. at a full time job? I was, yes, yeah. But at, at being a being an academic, it was um, you work hard, but there was mm. more flexibility compared to working in, as a lawyer. There was it was you know you had three days where you had your face to face teaching normally. So of mm. course you had to be there and commit to that. And I had um, childcare, I had someone to the home because of the multiple children, um, but she just. Um, we had two two ladies well in their 60s who looked after the children when they were young. It was lovely. And my mother-in-law was, was lovely. She helped too. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I was out of um, the home, I suppose, three days a week when I went to the university. Um, then I had another two days of work. But I would basically, you know, my husband's a lawyer as well, so he would work his five days a week and he would then have the children usually on the weekend. And so they were my other two days where I mm. fitted in. So there was that remarkable flexibility which I just had not come up against before there was also a much more supportive environment um Mm. well um yeah I I was just going to interrupt there I mean I'm one of six um and I've what number are you Cheryl four from the top oh you're a middley (laughs) yeah I'm a middley and I've got two below me um but one of the things that I you know my mother died recently so we but the conversations we had with her over the years I I would often ask her about you know what it was like to you know raise six children I mean how and she ran a corner shop so she was a working mum as well um but she used to often say that the big ones looked after the little ones and I always liked the idea of that do you think that's true Oh, look, we are so lucky, um, Peter and I, with the children, that they really are a band. Mm-hmm. And there were six born within nine and a half years, but they're very, very close. And that's what sometimes we think, you know, you have your certain moments with children where you think we must have done something right because yeah. they're very close, they're very supportive of each other. Um, they really are a band. And I think and I think it's, yet yeah, the big ones with the little ones, but I think there's also, um, you know, if one child was having problems with, you know, friends at school and things and they're 14 mm. or 15 and in tears or whatever and then the younger one would break her arm and then suddenly the one with the problem at school would back up and it was <laughs> the one with the broken arm because mum we all had to go to the hospital you know if I was yeah. too young to and fix the one with the broken arm and I think it's very much like that I think it's an issue of 
the children backed off if they thought, oh, actually, um, you know, that's a bigger problem. And and people travelled quite a lot. Sometimes it was just me. And, um, yeah, they just sort of got together. I had wonderful friends. I'm, you know, I was very fortunate. And, mm. But that goes You need a community. Life. You do. Very do much you? a community, you know, through yeah. the children schools and so on and, and that really helped too yeah absolutely okay so you know you're pretty accomplished by now you've got you know a, a great career behind you you're still working as a lecturer I guess or at the university yes, yeah. and then when do you decide to write what came over you? <laughs> well, my, my daughter Tamsin is a writer and she was actually picked up by Scholastic. She's had five books published by oh, them. Oh, wow. Fantastic. She's shortlisted for the Prime Minister's Literary Award. Like she's a very For what book? book? Give her a plan. Um, Piggy in the World and she's written a series of those and she's written, um, yeah. What's her name? Tamsin, T-A-M-S-I-N, Janu. Mm-hmm. Um, she's now very busy <laughs> with work and motherhood. She's a lawyer as well. Um, oh, anyway, she was She was sort of 21 and when she was picked up, I was sort of interested in writing and I liked the idea of it, but I thought, well, surely only one in the fa- And I couldn't have been more delighted that it was her. I was absolutely mm. thrilled. Um, but, yeah, I did I did a weekend course at the um, Australian Writers' Centre and and that was kind of affirming. It were nice people in the room. I like the, the other aspiring writers. Was that the first time you'd put pen to paper, do you think? Or it were was you... really. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay, yeah. 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 yeah, just but, I mean, I suppose in my, but, again, with my active um, or imagination or, look, I've always thought stories in my head, always, like I, yeah. ever, ever since I can remember, I go to bed. Yeah. with a thought in my head and I and I think about that story and it goes on and on. I mean, I've had the same story that's, you know, it's probably gone for over 50 years, so, you know, a continuation. So I suppose there was that element of storytelling and I read widely and I then, you know, I was reading, you know, I read, I read romance and I think it could have only been then because then I would have been in my early 50s and when I was, certainly when I was at school, my goodness, I went to a bit of a rough school. If I pulled out a romance book there, I mean, there would have been a lot of trouble. Mm. Um, university, I didn't know. I really didn't know anyone. I wasn't a member of a romance writing community. I found it since. Um, at work, at, as a lawyer, no, I didn't know anyone who admitted to reading romance. So it just wasn't. But I think <laughs> being the age I was. I mean, there must have been someone because there, the rules I'm sure of there were. I know. Do you know and when I... Sorry to interrupt. When I um, first started um, as a bookseller and working on the shop floor many, many, many years ago, when we used to get um, paid, we used to get cash paid and we used to get it in a little, you know, yellow envelope. I don't know if you remember that. And I would see people, so many people would come into the bookstore and buy their two or three or even six Mills and Boone and take out that little envelope and tear it open and pay through that. So there were a lot of people reading them or there are a lot of people reading them. Maybe they're not admitting it, yeah. That's right, yeah. And I think now it's, I mean, with the, you know, the new TikTok phenomenon and the younger people being out and proud about reading romance, I mean, it's a wonderful thing. Um, But it's, yeah, I always enjoyed reading it. I read voraciously. And so I knew that's what I wanted to write. And the good thing was that then I was the age where I thought, well, I'm going to write what I want to write. That's what I do want to write. But I did think because I'd had that, you know, go to university and be a lawyer and then do your master's yeah. and what I better do something I better do a course and yeah. I used to be given at university I was often the person that would be given um, exam questions to proofread or people's PhD theses or whatever because I sort of had a keen eye for that so I thought well I'll do it editing because that would be really useful for my work as you know as a lawyer yeah. and as a 
Yeah. So I started off at um, it was the University of Technology Sydney. I did a master's in writing there, and um, just a I short course. Off, yeah, <laughs> I started off with a short course, and it was compulsory to do one unit of narrative writing, and and I did that unit. I thought, oh no, 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 I've got to finish. I'll have to get the master's. I have to learn how to do this. But I hadn't had any background in. Um, writing and that course wasn't so much a practical skills of writing in many ways although we did have to write but then I was very industrious and I started a book basically and in the time I was there. Hey there it's Michelle Norris I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home and one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain and Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently I rented a house that had a great kitchen and when we were sitting around the table we're all thinking we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home but you're not always at home you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Not many authors that I've spoken to on this podcast, and, you know, I, I might be wrong, but I don't think I am, who really had never written until they started a writing course. Most writers have lots of things in their bottom drawer and then start thinking, okay, I'm going to take this seriously. I might do a course, you know, blah, blah, blah. I think you're the only person I've spoken to that started then. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, and it might have been. I mean, partly it would have been a time thing, I think. Um, mm. I suppose, although now I think I could have, could have, should have made time. But really it was a matter of educating six children and paying them all kitchen <laughs> and juggling. As I said, my husband travelled a lot. Um, and I really thought, and even now, um, and now I write full time, and so I make that time to write and I do it in quite a sort of a, a set way. Um, even reading a book, I don't, if somebody interrupts, I don't like that. It has to be my quiet time, I suppose, writing, reading, and writing mm. is the same. And so then I think I would have had trouble juggling that so I don't regret it in any way and I certainly I must have read you know so many hundreds or thousands of books when I wasn't writing and that as you know that that makes us into you know oh absolutely so tell me when you first wrote your first book then so how did that come about and how did that come to life and how was it published well that was actually um on the same page which was my um second third book published um it won a, a romance writing prize it was with another publisher but then very happily my current publisher at HarperCollins has taken that one on too so they've got I wanted all my ponies in the same stable so um so on the same page is a romantic comedy um and so I really wrote that through the masters and it was lovely I mean I had Deborah Adelaide you know was one oh, of wow. the yeah. of Delia Falconer and it was quite funny in the classes because then you know a lot of the students you know they were writing very you know they're writing beautiful words and poetry and literary fiction and everything else but they used to say to me sort of class to class they'd say and what's happening with that character those characters of yours so so they cared about them they wanted them to get together because everybody's I think most people are romantic did you did you admit Penelope to writing romance in a group of people like that I did there and that is where oh wow 
Um, and wow. that was when, but then I was probably pretty close to 50. And so yeah. then I was quite open because I thought, well, then now, look, I had a career. I probably had more confidence. It was probably a lack of confidence earlier. I had more confidence. And actually, um, she's passed away now, unfortunately. Rosie Scott, who was a beautiful mm. writer. Mm. Um, she was really instrumental in our first one of our early um, courses at UTS in our narrative writing. And there were probably about... Um, you know, a dozen of us, and there were script writers and guys with tats, and they were all pretty cool. There were uh, some of my age. There was another older lady, and she was reading out her work, and she used the F word. Um, and one of the other students, nicely enough, would say, oh, I wouldn't have expected you to say something like that, you know, tee-hee, because she was 70. Yeah. And and Rosie just, you know, and we all love Rosie and absolutely yeah. respected her, <laughs> and she just sat straight in her chair and she looked around the room, person to person to person, all of us, and she said there are some in this class who have had more sex, more drugs and more rock and roll than the rest of you could ever have imagined. <laughs> and it was just a circuit breaker because, and I think everybody in that room could then see, yes, this this woman is a certain age or, you know, come on, respect. <laughs> and it was all, you know, it's really valid. And so, um, yeah. yeah so and a wealth of experience. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, okay, I did write that. Yeah, on the same page. But then I, I submitted that. I went to First Romance Writers Australia's conference. I submitted that to a few publishers, including my, um, my current one. And that wasn't for them. Um, rom com wasn't such a thing then. Um, but it wasn't for them. But then the thing was, and I say this often to aspiring writers. I think I sort of picked myself up, and then I wrote another book. And so the next time, the next year, I pitched. Um, at least they knew me. That they knew I'd written a book that was quite a nice book. They just didn't necessarily want it. But then I'd actually written another book in that twelve month period. I worked really hard on that, um, and I pitched that one. And that was my first one. That was in at the deep end, which came out in twenty seventeen. Yeah, wow. That's interesting you say that. Did you then write your second book for those reasons, for the comments that you got back on your first? Did you do that or no, consciously? No, no. no the no. first one was more of a romantic comedy. The second one actually, well, that was my first environmental book and, again, that didn't really, it was had romance in it. But with all of my books they, they have mm. romance but they have quite a lot of other things as well. Of course. Um, and so I had in um, in my later years at Macquarie University, I taught in environmental law, some the long-winded course, the Global Legal Regulation of Climate Change. That was it, and it was it. That was in the Tony Abbott days, where you know some people didn't think that climate change was really a thing. Mm. Um, and in at the deep end is set partly with sort of Antarctica, and it's got a lot of sort of global climate. Um, mm issues in it and so that was the second one I wrote so again that was probably kind of a cross between maybe a romantic comedy and the romance and so that was the one that was picked up but that had the environment in it the next one I had a two book deal was on the right track and I thought again it had sort of a bit of a global issue um but it had horses in it and my lovely publisher at um Harlequin HQ said, um, oh, we could position this as rural, you know, it has horses in it. And I said, it was actually set in Terry Hills. <laughs> I said, okay, all right, we'll move it further out. And that's exactly what we did. But that actually has a strong environmental theme in terms of um, uh, eucalypts and gum trees and so on. So, yeah, yeah. so that's how, that's how my rural journey started, I suppose. And from there, then I went on to other books which were positioned as rural and had girls on the front with um, horses in the background and yeah. I want oh, to ask you the question that I, I um, often ask writers, and I'm wondering if it's different for you because it's coming back 
it's coming after, if you like, such a long career and, you know, uh, you know, being a lawyer is just so much work and I'm sure being um, uh, an academic is the same. So when you approach writing, is it, is it, firstly, what's your method? What do you do? How do you approach it every day? I'd really like to know that because I'm, I'm getting a sense that you're very organised. Um, but is it that you, is it when you first sit down, you know, your first blank page, is it, oh, my God, here I go again, or is it I'm really super enthusiastic or just how you approach starting a new work as well? Because it's, it's writing is not easy. No, no, it's it's probably one of the yeah. I I work just as hard doing this job absolutely than I have. Yes, jobs. Yeah. Um, it is full time job, and I do a lot of hours in it. I think it's probably the the way I start. The way I think about it is it is my job, and mm -hmm. I think that's probably why you know it becomes productive in a way because I'm just used. That's what I'm doing, and I think part of, part of the reason I do it that way. That's why I didn't write earlier because I thought I have to do my job. You know, my job is this job to support this family or to you know mm. to enjoy my work and to make a difference to people, or whatever in, in what I was mm. doing. I love teaching. I love my students. So that's what I was committed to, kind of a hundred percent. And so then mm. when I thought, you know, when I thought, oh no, I want to do something. I've worked in academia for a long time. I didn't want. We go back to being a solicitor. Um, I'd done certain volunteer work in that role, and that was lovely. Uh, happy to do that. Um, so yes, I thought it's my job. So this is my job. Then I have to think about it seriously. And I basically, you know, Monday to Friday, and you know, it's it's flexible, which is good. But I do write, you know, whether research, writing, editing books, whatever. It's it's full-time. So you sit, you, you start at, you know, 9, 10, I don't know. And you uh, sit. My productive hours are usually about 6 in the morning. This is where it's good. I don't yeah. have them anymore because I couldn't have done that. So basically usually I start at about 6 and yeah. I often work from 6 till 9 or 10 um, yeah. in the morning. Um, and then the rest of the day, um, you know, I'll do other bits and pieces and research or whatever and then I'll come back to it in the afternoon. I edit as I go. Yeah, I don't plan. I don't plot. I'm not at all organised in that way. Oh, wow. Well, well, that surprised me. I yes, would have, yes. yeah. I would have thought you were, yeah. No, so that's um, all that's that creative stuff must be somewhere in my head because I really do start in page one, and I, I have a, a gorgeous writing group with some talented writers in it, and um, they're always a bit amazed that you know that I always say that, but they know my process very much now, and I can basically page one, you know, that you know somebody's dehorning a cow, or whatever they might be doing, whatever their profession is, um, and that's where I start, and then I find the character as I, as I write the book. Have you got the story in your head, essentially, though, before you start no, writing? No, not at all. Not generally. I do have um, the career usually. Of, yeah, I always have the career of my um, main protagonist um, in mind and I write first person and I write mm -hmm. in the, in the, only in that one person's head. I think sometimes I think, oh, might make it a bit easier for myself if I could describe a scene in two different ways. But, um, no, it's just in one person's head. Um, and so normally, I mean, I've written, you know, things like, you know, teacher, occupational therapist, vet, um, speech pathologist, things often that actually with all my children, and I always have to check with them. I sort of read through my, you know, when I finished, if they've had that career. And there's usually a child in there that is one of my children. Mm -hmm. um, I said, was oh, that all right, Ben? Oh, that was in my... Um, yeah, in um, in my what was it? Um, yeah, clouds on the horizon. Actually, it was only when I got to that last bit, you know, proofread where you can't really change anything, and um, and then I worked out because I'd called this little boy who was a you know tank occupational therapy for hand grip and so on, um, 
And I called him Benjamin, which is my son's name. <laughs> oh, gee, I better check with Ben that that's okay with him. But he didn't have a problem with it. But yes, I have a career that, that interests me. And usually the career, so if it's an occupational therapist then, and she dealt with um, paediatric occupational therapy, but she saw things through her senses. So the first time she sees the man walk in the room or whatever, um, she's thinking about certain things and she's sort of a very sensory person or the speech pathologist, then it's often, you know, that might um affected with a vet you know the, mm. the one I've just finished is pain and you know how to deal with pain, pain. well tell us about um shelter from the storm just give us an overview ah yes well shelter from the storm is um it's set mostly in um central west of New South Wales mm-hmm. uh but it's about a naval officer patience Cartwright um she grew up in the country um had a very difficult background um she had her heart broken at 19 and so she joined the navy and she's a successful naval officer um but she does get in trouble um and so she's sent on a secondment or offered a secondment to save her career working um, with boats on the river and the person on the river is Hugo Halstead who is her um the man who broke her heart but he's also the man who had his heart broken by her um it's very much a it's a persuasion story um I have a daughter she's doing a PhD she's an English teacher so I just kept of course (laughs) (laughs) it is that second chance romance I guess whereas in persuasion of course it was Captain Wentworth who went off to sea and made his fortune while I have my female character going and doing that and it's the, the the one left behind and um yeah sort of 10 years on um how they get together so yeah lovely is it only one of your children who's a writer as well or uh yeah well Tamsin yeah she's the writer so she's a lawyer I've got another two lawyers and um okay and two teachers and one of those is a very yeah she's a PhD so she's the kind of yeah so they're all very wordy which is a little bit oh no yeah. I have one my one son is a bit less oriented but my right. husband's more in that way so <laughs> I just love word people yeah, but it could be that um, it's early days and they could end up writers as well, right? No. You never know. Uh, Penelope, uh, lovely chat. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for chatting to me. Lovely to see you. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.